Hey, Sam. Yeah, Don? What's the word? Changed. Changed? Choosing honesty allows new growth each day. Where'd you hear that? I I heard heard it through the grapevine. Welcome. It's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour, featuring the collective voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Don, an alcoholic in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, Don. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. What you say, Sam? How you doing, Don? I'm good. I got a question for you. What would you say is the opposite of disconnection? Hmm, the opposite of disconnection. Well, connection, obviously, but I think the the proper answer would be like, I don't know, puppies and unicorns and warm feelings and sprinkles on cupcakes. And is that it? That's that's good. I'd say paying my phone bill. Oh, oh, well, you know, (laughs) or your internet bill, you you know. What I heard in a meeting that really struck me was the opposite of disconnection is community plus service. Hmm. So the reason it struck me so much was because I went through a period there of about a week and a half where I had a lot of personal crises in my life. And the stress of it, even with many years being sober, actually, I kind of felt like an AA failure because I couldn't let go. I've since learned that... Letting go doesn't mean, you. of course, you get to get out of feelings. But I was so upset that I lost all connection and I felt Mm -hmm. very disconnected. And I I felt disconnected from AA. I felt disconnected from my higher power. And I couldn't find a way uh, just doing my morning meditation. I attended some AA meetings via Zoom but I had to attend the meetings in a small room with other people. So I couldn't really participate. Mm. I'd had to listen on earbuds and I couldn't share because, you know, can't really be a part of that way. Couldn't be a part of. Yeah. And as we were talking about it at the meeting, I went to the idea that the opposite of disconnection was community and being part of the community. And when I, as soon as I was able to get to an AA meeting, and get connected, all of a sudden it began to lift and I began to feel some connection again. And then of course, how do you stay part of a community? Service. Service is a big part of it. Yeah. And you know, uh, you and I have talked previously on, on a different situation with a fellow named Brad who talked about Rat Park. And what he's referring to is a, uh, a, a series of experiments where rats, they were isolated And those rats would use drugs. They would drink the water bottle laced with whatever drug it was. Whereas when they were part of a community of rats, they didn't choose to drink the drugged water. They drink the clean water. And it's like, that's an interesting. And they, and they called it rat park. Rat park. Yes. I love all my fellow rats. We're like rats (laughs) jumping off of the same sinking ship. We have a common problem and no common solution. (laughs) But we're cute, fluffy rats.
All right. Well, we do know that service is an important thing, and and our guest today has a, a background in service, particularly in general service within Alcoholics Anonymous. Today, we will do our periodic segment, Behind the Curtain. Let's take a look. A look-see, maybe? A peek behind the curtain. <laughs> Hi, good afternoon. I'm Billy. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Billy. Thank you for joining us. Hey, Billy. Pleasure to be here. What's Sam talking about with general service? What is that? Well, general service is is the service related to the general service conference structure, which is what Bill and Bob left to the AA groups uh, when the conference charter was introduced in 1955 in St. Louis, uh, when really AA came of age. That's where the title of the book that's where it comes from. AA Comes of Age. AA Comes of Age is the Keel Auditorium in St. Louis when the founders, then only one alive, Bill, turned over the future of AA to the AA groups. And the General Service Conference is the permanent successors to the founders. Um, we had four General Service Conferences on a test basis by then. And today we just elected delegates for what next year will be the 72nd General Service Conference next April. So it's anything inside that general service structure. So from the most important unit, the AA group, to the AA district, to the AA area, to the AA region, to the General Service Conference itself, and then obviously the 21 trustees on the General Service Board and are two corporations that really do all the work, the AA Grapevine Board and the AA World Services Board. That is truthfully general service, and it sounds very complicated, and it sounds a little dry, but at the end of the day, anything involved with any of those people is only supposed to be about one thing. You know, how do we keep the doors open, and how do we get this message to alcoholics who are still suffering? That's what holds the whole thing together so a newcomer can come and go, I can't quit drinking. What do I do? And so AA is here for them. And that's what helps them find that meeting and helps us have a big book to give them at that meeting. And Yeah, there's a part of the concept that says the general service structure should never do for the groups what they can do themselves. It should do for the groups what the groups can't do which is the things you talked about. And probably someone I never meant to be this old. I got sober young. But when did you get sober? I got sober in 1990, uh, but I came into AA when I was 14 years old as the result of general service, really. Thank God somebody had told the juvenile court judge that it's possible for teenagers to be alcoholics. And if you run into a teenage alcoholic, send them to Alcoholics Anonymous. So I was in and out from 14 to 23, and I'd been here ever since. But what I was going to say is during my lifetime, probably one of the most successful TV commercials was probably an old motel chain that had a little jingle that said, leave the light on. Mm -hmm. And everybody knew that commercial. And I always say at the end of the day, that's our job to leave the light on. We're the ones who've already been blessed. We've already been given the gift. Our job is not to spoil it, to embrace the traditions and make sure that it's here for the alcoholic not here yet. Yes, I love that. Leave the light on. You know, Billy, I had a little little service nerd moment when you talked about the convention center in St. Louis, where that conference was held, the fifth one where AA was turned over to AA as we know it now. 
I had a little whirlwind tour after one of the uh, National AA Technology Workshop. There was a, a fella who took me and a few other AAs in his car, and we just did this car tour of St. Louis because we only had a few hours. And when he pointed that out to me, that was just one of those coolest moments of, oh, that's where that happened. And that was where I most recently heard you talk. And one of the things that really got my attention was how the General Service Conference demographics have changed over the years. No doubt about it. Uh, I just want to make sure that I, the fifth General Service Conference was in 1955. That actual convention was the second international convention, the first one in Cleveland, the second one in St. Louis. But I, I, I only met one person who was actually in that room when they took that vote. She stayed sober. She was a young woman talking about demographics changing. She was a young woman who was present in that room in St. Louis in 1955. She just died in the last couple of years. But yes, um, I mean, look at myself. I'm a panel 49 past delegate. What does that mean? That means that in 1999, I was a first year delegate. And in 2000, a second year delegate. So the delegates we elect this fall will be panel 72 delegates. That means I was at the 49th General Service Conference and the 50th General Service Conference. And I was obviously 22 years younger than I am right now. The average age of a delegate when I was a delegate was about 57. Billy, what does a delegate do? Well, if you go to the service manual, and I want to make sure that because, you know, I love uh, when Sam said, you know, when we talk about service nerds, they're always quick to correct. So I have to be uh, yeah, sticklers, some might say. <laughs> <laughs> the, the General Service Conference actually has four types of delegates. The one we all talk about is the area delegate, the 93 delegates who represent the, the, one of the 93 general service areas. However, the trustee delegates, the director delegates, and the grapevine and GSO staff delegates all make up the General Service Conference. It's just that per concept one and concept four, the greatest responsibility was turned over to the groups. So the area delegates make up almost 70% of the General Service Conference voters. But I'll take your vote to mean the area delegate, which I was one of them at one time. And an area delegate's job is to be the communication link between the General Service Office and the Grapevine in New York and the General Service Board, and the local groups and districts in their area. Yeah. And their other job, they're given an immense responsibility to vote for their area at the General Service Conference. And as Concept 6 says, at the General Service Conference, we vote on large matters of policy and finance. We don't tell the general manager what color the carpet should be, or what kind of furniture they should buy or what day they should exactly file their taxes. But on large matters of policy, that's where the General Service Conference comes in. And so the, the delegates have an immense responsibility, and it's a very busy job. So for someone who, who's not a service nerd, doesn't know anything about the General Service Office, what would you say that the delegate does to keep AA going? You know, bring it down to street level here. I prefer to refer to myself as a three legacy AA member. Our triangle has three sides to it, unity, recovery, and service. Some of us may spend more time on any given day in one side of the triangle than others. 
But the delegate's job is, you know, when you look at what happens every February, the agenda for the General Service Conference is sent out. And with that, all the background material, which is these days over a thousand pages. And the delegate's job is to find out the feedback from their AA groups about how they feel about those agenda items, and then not be instructed how to vote, but rather have a sense of how their area feels. And you should be voting for the best for AA as a whole. So can you give an example of something interesting going on that you'd vote on? Well, it's only something that something that rises to the level of policy and finance. So literature is a perfect example. Uh-huh. We embrace our tradition one unity. The biggest way we do it is by our literature, that our literature is conference approved. And so if I think that there's a change that needs to be made to a piece of literature, and I'm like anybody else. On any given day, I think something needs to be changed, in my own opinion. <laughs> yes. But, but thank God, we don't operate like that. Mm-hmm. If, if I think something needs to change that's conference approved, well, then maybe my group will vote on it and send it to my district. And maybe my district will vote on it. And if they think it's a good idea, send it to my area. And if my area thinks it's a good idea, they'll send it to the conference committee and When people ask me, why is it important that I belong to a home group, not just go to a lot of meetings? Yeah, good question. It's important for a lot of reasons. Number one, it's our basic block of unity. That is our receiving station. And a home group is where the seventh tradition tells me I should be putting most of my basket money so that my home group is self-supporting by the voluntary contribution of its own members. But if you look at this year, two of the things you hear talked about all the time are the big book and the preamble. I really don't care how anybody feels about them. They're entitled to their own AA opinion. What catches my attention is when they didn't know it was being talked about, that they only heard about it after the decision was made, which lets me know that maybe they don't have a GSR. Yes. Or maybe they only elect a GSR in name only, who's not expected to go to the district or the assembly. Or maybe they have a really good GSR, but they don't give that person 15 minutes or 20 minutes time to report back to the group. I I had said before this year's General Service Conference, I know I'm going to get a lot of phone calls after the conference about people that don't like whichever way these things went. And that'll be okay. But the calls that'll break my heart is the people who say, I had no idea they were even talking about this. And that probably has come from a great AA member who lived in North Carolina named Tom I, who's still with us, but been ill for a while. He used to always say that he would get worried about the large gatherings of loosely held together meetings that weren't really home groups. Yes. And and that the home group is the most important thing in Alcoholics Anonymous. And that if people fall away from being members of a home group, then less and less people will be connected to these decisions we make. So the the GSR of a home group is both carrying information from the people in their group to the rest of AA that moves to the area and to, and to the delegate so that the delegate can be informed. But it works the other way as well to learn about what's being voted on and bring that back to the group. 
the communication flows both ways at the GSR level. Oh, yes. The GSR uh, goes to the district and goes to the area to, to carry their group's voice. But then there's lots of things that get reported on, not just at the General Service Conference, but every month of the year something is happening at the Grapevine or the AA World Service Office. And the delegate is reporting to the district and the GSRs, and that's going back. And probably that's the thing over the last 20, 25 years, that is probably something we need to get our arms around. The speed of communication in the world has changed in that information travels so fast now. Uh, When I was a delegate, I received my background material in paper and I had to make copies of it. Um, and I think I got an old, the old discs, the square plastic discs. <laughs> yes. um, the save icon. Know, yeah. <laughs> Today, the delegates have a dashboard where all the material is put up. I'm not saying outside issues affect AA, but the outside world affects AA and, and how we communicate with each other for sure. Billy, let's uh, find out a little bit about how you got sober. So the judge <laughs> introduced you to AA. Well, well, I'm a, I'm a doctor's opinion alcoholic. And when I say that, I mean that I was not addicted to alcohol when I was 12 years old. I had the allergy and the mental obsession. I am one of those people who, when I started drinking, I can't stop on my own. And I didn't know that. First time I went to AA after that judge sent me at 14 years old, when I heard the first drink gets you drunk, I thought the first shot after the eighth beer got me drunk. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I never took the time to go through the big book with another person who's been through the big book and learn that I have this allergy to alcohol and this mental obsession and those two things make me an alcoholic. Um, but yes, I was in and out of AA from age 14 to 23 and in and out of the New York state criminal justice system. So you're saying that at age 14, I don't think that I developed to the place where if I drank, I had to drink more. And I think I was probably 18 or 19. I had to drink a while before that happened to me. I could get drunk one night and then not drink for a week. By the time that I came into AA, I could not not drink for a week. That was had long past. So you're saying at age 14, if you drank, you couldn't quit. Yeah, I, I'm one of those people who I often say does not have a line in this story. I, I didn't cross over any line. Mm. Um, the first time I was allowed to drink on my own, which was in the woods, listening to music, I had that allergy. Probably the greatest thing I learned, you know, in AA is you know, what makes me an alcoholic? Um, It's not a lot of these other things that people talk about. It's not how many DWIs I have. It's not how many fights I got into. It's not how many cars I crashed. Believe it or not, I've learned in AA that everybody who drinks a lot does all those things, not just alcoholics that, you know, the real alcoholic described in the big book is a different type. And um, that's the type I am, the type that has the the physical allergy and the mental obsession. I relate to that. I mean, it was for me, it was a while before I was able to get my hands on enough alcohol that I could drink it. I was forced to stop drinking because I ran out, you know, and I was drinking with a fake ID at age 18. But once I turned 21 and I was able to buy that bottle of vodka, it was on. 
And I was drinking until I was drunk and I drank and I partied and I ran until I passed out, until I blacked out, until whatever happened that that run was over. But I didn't drink day after day after day after day after day because I still had some control, I guess, in that, you know, I, I had to go to work. I had to earn money to pay for the alcohol. But once I started drinking until I passed out long enough for it to uh, work its way out of my system, I was going to drink. Yeah, I, I wish more people would use the big book to help newcomers figure out if they're an alcoholic. It's, it's not about what you drink. It's not about how often you drink. It's about what happens to you when you drink. By the time I was in 10th grade, the difference between me and other 10th graders is that on, on Monday morning, they weren't thinking that they're not like everybody else. I can't wait till Friday night. I'd like to drink by Wednesday. I wish we would take a lot more time helping newcomers figure out if they are an alcoholic rather than talk about car crashes and fights and divorces and isms and all kinds of other things. You know, I love the book AA Comes of Age. Everybody I meet that's new to AA has seen one of the AA movies. And one of the most common scenes that everybody remembers from an Al-Anon point of view is in the spring of 1935. Bill hasn't drank since December of 1934. And he complains to Lois that he hasn't helped anybody. He's gotten nobody sober. Up until then, he's the worst 12-stepper in the history of AA. <laughs> and, and what is Lois's response? Lois is like my mother. She's an Al-Anon. She says, who cares? You're sober. But you know who cares? We do. Because to me, the steps are our message, the traditions protect our message, and the concepts perpetuate it. And if Bill had never successfully 12-stepped anybody, the three of us wouldn't be talking today. But thank God, before Bill went to Akron, he went to Dr. Silkworth. And he told Dr. Silkworth the same story he told Lois. And Dr. Silkworth didn't have the same response. Because Dr. Silkworth was used to working with hopeless alcoholics and wanted whatever Bill had to work with others. He asked Bill his approach. And when Bill told him his approach, Dr. Silkworth told him, that'll never work. You can't say you were on the third story of a hospital building and God blew the wind open at three o'clock in the morning and you felt like you were floating on top of a mountain. You need to stress the medical estimate of alcoholism. You need to convince the person you're talking to that you have the same problem as them. And only once that condition is set, will the person be willing. Dr. Bob called it the Me Too moment, a meeting that was supposed to last 15 minutes and lasted a couple of hours. Imagine Bill W. had never talked to Dr. Silkworth. And that's in AA Comes a Page. Okay, well, you came in, you were young. And that was a while ago, so there were less young people in AA than there are now. What would you say to a young person? Today? Today, yes. Uh, people were older than you. How do you deal with that? Well, I think we should treat all alcoholics the same. Alcoholism is the same. The 12 and 12 calls it the rapacious creditor. Um, I love that description. I would tell a new person, find a home group, find a sponsor. If you don't like the word sponsor, find somebody at least who you're willing to talk to and find out the most important question in the world before you take another drink. Are you an alcoholic? I'm not going to be arrogant and say that everybody who comes to AA is alcoholic because my experience is different. 
I know people who've left AA who've had horrible, tragic consequences. And I know people who've come to AA who it turns out weren't alcoholic. But I think the most important question is find out if you really are an alcoholic. And my experience with young people is this. Yes, you need the fellowship you crave. So if that's other young people, you know, if that's hanging out till four in the morning, vaping in the middle of a drum circle and listening to the music of the day. Yeah, you need that whether you're drunk or sober. But that's separate than the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I would tell most young people not to have another young person as a sponsor. I know it works sometimes. But for me, it was better to have someone older than me outside my social circle who basically just gave AA to me, whether I was young or old. And, you know, I believe AA is the most inclusive fellowship on the planet. And I believe AA was 100 years, at the very least, ahead of its time. The third tradition was, when you think about it, written in 1946, when it was still illegal for many people to attend meetings together simply because they were different. When you think that that tradition said, we don't care. The long form of the third tradition is our our membership ought to include all those who suffer from alcoholism, period. And for me in today's world, you know, whether it's a young person sitting next to me or somebody my own age or older, that means when you sit down next to me, it doesn't matter who you voted for. It doesn't matter what political party you're in. It doesn't matter how you feel about the most important issues of the day. It doesn't matter what religion you belong to or what God you don't even believe in. For me, it doesn't even matter if you're a Boston Red Sox fan. None of that matters. But if you think you have a problem with alcohol, I have a sacred responsibility to help you find out if you're an alcoholic. Well, we're all rats jumping off of the same sinking ship, and we found the same solution. So if we'll focus on that, <laughs> we can get sober. We can. And we can have a really good life. Yes. Billy, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate this. This has been a fantastic chat. You're welcome. I really appreciate the time. Thanks, Billy. My biggest accomplishment today will be finishing this bottle of whiskey. My biggest accomplishment today is finishing a jigsaw puzzle this morning in two and a half hours. What's so great about that? That's fast, but not that fast. Are you kidding me? It says on the box. Two to four years. <laughs> it's really not that funny. Thanks for joining us. The AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour is posted every Monday and is produced by AA Grapevine Inc. We don't speak for AA as a whole. We share the experience, strength, and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism. Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Find AA Grapevine on Instagram and the AA Grapevine channel on YouTube. 
All Things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org.